0: Let me pray and ask God to speak to us through his word, and uh, we'll jump right in. Lord God, we just ask for you to guide us and direct us. God, would you open our minds, open our hearts, open our ears, remove any obstacles or barriers that we have to hearing from you today, Father? Sometimes, Lord, it can just be distractions or things we bring into this place that we're thinking about, that we're concerned about. Sometimes, Lord, it can be our hearts are hard, and we don't want to exactly receive what you have to say. Sometimes, Lord, just uh, simple distractions of life can keep us from hearing from from you. And so, Lord, help us to hear from you today. God, I pray that you would preach this message very specifically to to all of us, to each individual here. Father, that uh, you take what I say and, Lord, you multiply it to the hearts and the minds of the people that are here through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are on a seven-week journey, 50 days, looking at... Seven major areas of life and trying to ask God, God, will you transform me? Will you change me in some of these different areas we're dealing with? In this journey, we're going to look at seven distinct passages. Some some of them are very familiar to you. For instance, last week, we dealt with Luke 15, looking at the lost son as we looked at our spiritual health. So this week, we're going to do a new passage as we look at our physical health. For some of you, you go, oh, man, physical health. You looked ahead in the book, and you knew physical health was coming up, and, you know, I'm going, but I don't know how much I want to hear it. Or, Or I don't need someone else telling me about physical health. My wife is already getting on me enough, or my husband's already getting on me enough, or the doctor has spoken up, or my mom and dad, they're concerned. You need to lose some weight. You need to do this. You need to do that. And you're probably maybe coming in here going, I really don't want to hear about this physical health stuff. I want to tell you today, you can relax. I'm not here to tell you to start an exercise plan or or how to lose weight or how to get fit real quick or how to to eat right. That's not the focus of this message. Matter of fact, if any of you have a real simple exercise plan, I probably could use your help. I want us to begin today thinking again like we did last week about the mind. Remember Romans 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of what? our mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thoughts, feelings, actions we talked about last week. What you think about guides your feelings, which then directs your actions. And so if I came up here and said, hey, you need to lose weight. Hey, you need to start an exercise. Line. Hey, you start eating right. I'm dealing with your actions and not your thoughts. And so I want us to think about our thoughts. Because quite honestly, The reason why we overeat or or the reason why we put on weight or the reason why we we have a drinking problem or or whatever addiction challenge it may be or, or lack of exercise, all that comes back to what's going on inside of here. Every single bit of it. And I want to deal with what's happening in your mind. What's happening in your mind leads to being physically unhealthy. And if we can stop and start thinking about what's going on inside of my mind that's causing me to have this unhealthy lifestyle and we can start working with our mind, then maybe we can change possibly what's going on with our unhealthy lifestyle. Let me tell you what a lot of us are dealing with. Let me tell you why we get physically unfit. And you may say, well, I'm not physically unfit. I'm not overweight. Well, we are physically unfit in so many different ways. It's one word. Stress. Stress. That's what it is. Perpetual stress. Now, stress at its core is simply a threat. Rather, it's a real threat or a perceived threat. Whenever your body feels threatened by something emotionally or or physically or mentally, uh, stress that threatens your body, then stress kicks in. Your, Your blood pressure goes up. Your pulse quickens. Your adrenaline shoots into your body and all kinds of other physiological things go on inside your body. Now, Sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it's good. For example, if you're standing near a a road and a truck is going to run you over and your stress kicks in, you go, oh my goodness, get out of the way and save your life. That's good. That's good to get out of the way of it. The problem is in our society today, many people are living under what's known as chronic stress. The body never shuts down. Many of you, if not most of you, are probably living under the chronic stress. Uh, we're, and we're going to deal with that today. Hundreds and hundreds of scientific scientific and medical studies have shown that chronic stress in your life is dangerous and devastating to your physical health. And so beyond thinking about exercise programs and diet programs and all that kind of stuff, we've got to think about how are we handling and managing stress in life. So today I want to look at the famous passage of Scripture that gives us at least five guidelines, I'm going to deal with five, I think you'll find more in it, but at least five guidelines about how to reduce stress. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 23, that's where we'll be at, Psalm 23. But before we look at that text, let me just identify with you five common, I don't know if they're the, absolutely the most common, but five common sources of stress in modern life. These are five things that cause a lot of stress in our lives. Number one is Worry. Worry is a big stressor. The reason why worry is number one is because there's a lot of things to worry about that there used to never be to worry about. I mean, 20 years ago, nobody worried about identity theft. Tw- 20 years ago, nobody worried about, oh, no, I just lost my $800 smartphone. Tw- 20 years ago, we weren't thinking about too much about school shootings. And so stress levels have gone up, and we start to worry about that, and so worry a major conductor of stress secondly is hurry we live in a fast-paced society hurry comes from the increasing pace in our life would you agree that it seems like the world is going faster and faster and faster do you ever think man i just wish i could kick back and slow down you stop and look at your calendar and you think your calendar runs you from one thing to another 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 thing thing, you're like man i throw the calendar away We're in a hurried society. Everything goes faster and faster, which then creates stress in our life. Thirdly, crowds. Crowds. As the world gets more crowded, people are getting more stressed out. The reason why is we have a thing called urbanization. That is that people are moving to the cities. They're moving to the cities. Life used to be rural. And now it's definitely urban. 83% of America lives in a larger city 83% Eighty-three percent of America lives in a larger city. That means it's 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 getting crowded. It's urbanness. That's why we have neighborhoods that are around here and you can almost reach out and touch your neighbor. You could, you feel it. It causes traffic issues. You have driven around Lexington lately? Been on Nicholasville Road lately? Been on Leestown Road? Isn't that beautiful that road's done now? It's kind of relieved a little bit of stress. Citation is true. Ooh, a little bit of stress is gone. Americans wasted over 4 billion hours waiting in traffic jams in 75 of the largest cities in America in 2013. That's crazy. I mean, just imagine the amount of pro- de- pro- productivity lost just because of people sitting in traffic jams wasting over 6 billion gallons of gasoline that causes stress. No, you may not consider the next one. Maybe you haven't really thought about it, but when I mention it, I think, oh, yeah, I understand that. Loss of privacy is a big stressor today. Actually, any loss is stressful in the modern world, but the loss of privacy, not just because of government, because if you know that, government's watching everything we're doing nowadays, but all kinds of corporations are keeping their number on you. Have you noticed how today on a website, if you go and you search and you say, well, I want to look at flowers, and also you get on your Facebook page, also there's an advertising for flowers. Have you noticed that? I'm like, how are they doing that? Who's watching me? Who knew that I was checking that out? And now they're advertising it to me because you're being watched. I mean, they they know every time that you went to the store and you bought some pampered diapers. And they're watching you going, it won't be long, and you'll be buying the pens. I mean, they know the day has come. They know, hey, you were buying Hot Wheels, and now you're ready for a wheelchair. You're being watched from every single angle. There is no privacy in our world today. And that privacy, that lack of privacy, causes stress. And I think you probably can understand and say, I can kind of feel that. There's a lot more I could talk about, areas of stress. Let me just talk about one other. And I think it's a big one. It's the fear of the future. It's the what ifs, the fear, of the fear. What if I can't go to college? What if I can't afford college? What if I don't have enough money to retire on? What if, how, and what if my parents get sick? How am I going to take care of my aging parents? How, how are we going to make it? How am I going to pay all the bills? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? And we live in this world of what if sometimes and it stresses us out. I want to read to you Psalm 23. Look at this with me. Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 actually addresses the stress issues that you and I deal with and we feel. Listen to the word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. And the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That psalm was written by a man by the name of David. He had been through stress because of leadership positions. been through stress because of sin situations. He had dealt with stress. And he writes these words down for his relationship between him and God, but also it applies to us today. This is a great psalm. It's been used for the years. It's brought peace and, and healing to people for years, but there is so much in here that helps us to understand, well, how do I manage my stress? control my mind, so to speak, change my mind, transform my mind, and as we do that, we manage our stress, then what could happen is our actions could change later. So let's dig into this passage a little bit deeper, and let's discover five antidotes to stress in this passage. One is, look to God to all my needs. See, that's the first thing that David says we need to do. I look to God to meet all my needs, and that calms me down. That that way, I'm not going to be disappointed because I put my trust in God. See, this single thought can change your life. When you get the idea and realize, i got to stop looking to other people for my needs. If you stop looking to your husband or to your wife or to your boss or to your job or to whatever to meet your needs, then stress goes down. You say, i stop putting my security into things I can lose. Things that can be taken away in a heartbeat. I recommend you never put your security to anything that can be taken away. To anything. Uh, You should should always put your security into God and into nothing else. You, You find something to be taken away, you put your security in it, and chances are it'll be gone. You can lose your job, you can lose your health, you can lose your reputation, you can lose your spouse, you can lose your mind, all that stuff. But He, God, will not turn His back on you. All this stuff that the world offers, and we think, oh, this is great, it can be gone in a moment. So put your security into God. Psalm twenty-three, one. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Another translation says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing that I need. I like that. I have nothing that I need. I have nothing that I don't need because He's going to be my shepherd. I stop expecting other people to meet the needs that only God can meet. The Bible says this in Romans eight thirty two. Since God did not spare His even His Son for us, but gave Him up for us, won't He also surely give us everything we need? I think there's some obvious logic there. If God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you, don't you think He loves you enough to take care of every other need in your life? I mean, stop and think about that for a moment. God gave us Jesus, and he gave us Jesus to die on the cross. And if he loved us that much, don't you think he's concerned about your daily things you're walking through? Every need. So stop looking to other people to meet needs, because people let you down. People let you down. There's no one who could possibly meet all of your emotional needs. There's no one who could possibly meet all your physical, your mental, your spiritual needs. So David says, I'm going to stop looking at anybody else. I'm looking to God. God has it all, and if if I'm going to look to God, the Lord is my shepherd, then that's all that I possibly need. Now, I want to encourage you to make this affirmation in your life. Dealing with stress, make this commitment. Every time you get stressed out, just pause and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Say that with me, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. When you're getting stressed out and you're overwhelmed and things are going on in life, to stop and pause and say, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. What you're saying is, God, he's going to take care of this. He's going to take care. Just speaking that and just praying that and starting to believe that, stress levels can go down. Once you once you laid that, that's the bedrock of stress management. You go on a second step. And number two is this. I need to obey God's instructions about rest. You need to obey God's instructions. I need to obey His instructions about rest. So much of the stress in your life comes from always being in a hurry, always being on the go, the calendar always full, always working too much, always feeling like you've got too much to do, and that's, way, and that's why you're overworked. You never get caught up. You ever feel like you're never caught up? You ever feel like that? You ever feel like I'm always behind? I, I, let me just confess that to you. That, that's my life right now. I said that to Brianna probably at least once a week over the last month. I, why do I feel like I'm behind? Why do I feel like I can't get caught up between ministry and work life, things you volunteer, projects you're working on? Why do I feel like I can never get caught up? That's the life we live in sometimes. So what do you do? you got to look to God to meet the, your needs, and then you obey God's instructions about the rest. There's no way I can say, listen, I'm going to stay up 24 hours a day for the next 30 days, and I'll get all caught up. It's just not possible. I would like to if it was possible, and get everything done. But, but you've got to have rest. Think about this. If God had wanted, he could have created human beings without the need for sleep. He could have done that. He could have said, hey, they're going to work all day long. They're going to work and play all day long. There's no need for rest. You'll spend one-third of your life sleeping. Some of you are like, I get more than that. You're going to spend time sleeping. If God, God's only going to give you 60, 80, or, or 100 years here on earth, why wouldn't He give to you 100% of the time? Why would He not say, stay awake, you're only going to be here for 60, 70, 80 hours? Why would He say, waste it and sleep? Because God wants you to learn the importance of rest, and more importantly, the rest that only comes in Him. Rest is so important that God rested. And he modeled that. When he created the whole universe, the Bible says that after he finished all of creation, it says on a seventh day, what did did God do? He rested. Why did God rest? He wasn't tired. God doesn't ever get tired as far as I understand. He was modeling the importance of rest for our life. He's modeling the importance of you go for a period and you take a rest. You go hard and you rest. He's modeling. He says every seventh day. That's what God did. He modeled it. The Bible is is filled with instructions about rest and relaxation. In fact, it's so important that God put it inside the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, right up there with don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't lie. He said, every seventh day, take a day off. You know what we've done with that? We've swept that one under the rug. Ah, he really didn't mean that. Ah, oh, that's really not that important. Or, I oh, you have so much to do. That one, I can set that one aside. Jesus said later, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. A day of rest was made for us. It was set up for us. Even on their day off, people are working today our society is so busy and so demanding that we, that we work. A lot of people, even if they go to church service, some of you today came here today thinking, well, I'm going to go to church. I'll get an hour or two there. But you are thinking, I'm going home. I have work to do to be ready for Monday. And God wants you to hear today, leave it alone. Set it aside. And a lot of people ignore that. God says, I want you to rest. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down. You see that? He makes me lie down. Circle the phrase, he makes me in your notes. He makes me, he, he, says, God, God, he says, God makes me lie down. Does God ever have to make you lie down? You know what I'm talking about? You ever hit the wall where you're like, I can't go any further? You ever had the sickness hit you, you where you're like, okay, I've been going so hard and you get so sick and you're like, okay, I guess God got my attention now. I can't do anything because I've worn myself out so much and now I'm so sick. Sheep are not smart enough to know when to rest. They're really not. And so the shepherd would actually make them lie down to get rest. And if you're not smart enough to get the rest you need and take a day off every, once every seven days, then your body will make you do it. It will catch up to you. And a lot of times it catches up to you into mental stress, which then steals your joy and steals your peace and then results in behaviors and actions that leads to physically being unhealthy. You just keep working and working and working. You get sick because God wired you for rest. Getting enough sleep is essential to stress management. The best rest requires... My best requires rest. It requires it. You're not wasting your time if you're relaxing. Okay, husbands and wives, moms and dads, listen to me. The preacher is giving you permission it's okay to sit on the couch and put your feet up. I hear that more and more from people today. They go, I just feel so guilty if I stop. You know stopping is good. You know Sunday afternoon naps are great. Don't bother me on Sunday afternoon because when I'm done preaching, I'm worn out. And I nap. And I nap hard for about three hours. And I turn my phone off. It's supposed to be part of your day. Rest. And I don't feel guilty about my nap. Now my kids go, Dad, would you go upstairs and get off the couch? we got things to do. But I love to take my nap. Some of you all need to, need to take that in consideration. It's okay to stop and read a book. It's okay to go for a walk and smell the flowers, so to speak. You don't always have to be productive. Sometimes rest is being productive productive. That's why God gave us a Sabbath. Exodus 34, 21 says six days are set aside for work, but every seventh day you must rest completely. Highlight that word. Completely. Even during your seasons of plowing and harvest you must observe a Sabbath day of rest. In other words, even in your busiest seasons, you've got to stop. Oh, it's tax season right now i got to keep going. Nope, God says take a rest. Oh, we just finished Christmas season. I'm a retailer. I cannot stop. Nope, the Bible says take a rest. You may be a farmer, and it may be harvest or planting season. It's still take a rest. Take a day off. So what am I supposed to do on that Sabbath? What's it set aside for? I think there's three things you do. One is you rest your body. Just rest your body. You need to rest your body. Physically rest. The biblical basis for a good for a good break, for, for doing that Sunday afternoon nap. Number two, you refocus your spirit. That's why you come to worship. You take the Sabbath day off and you say, God, let's you and I just spend some time. Let us sing together. Let us worship together. Let us read Scripture together. Let us go to church. And you do that type of thing. You take that break. Number three, you recharge your emotions. And that's done in different ways. For some, it's, it's recreation. Go for a run. Go for a walk. For some, it's be engaged in your hobby. Some of you say, what hobby? Well, find one. Get back to one that you used to do. It's okay. You say, but I feel guilty when I relax. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't feel guilty. You look at the life of Jesus. When you study Jesus' ministry, often took off time to relax. He'd go out and do an intense period of ministry. And, and then he'd say, come on, guys, talking to disciples, come on, let's get away from here. Let's go over to the mountain. Let's go to the other side of the lake. He said, let's, let's come apart. Let's get apart from everybody else. Let's get apart from all the pressure. And I'll tell you, if you don't come apart, then you're going to come apart. If you don't build in the rest into your life, you're going to fall apart. Did you know that during the French Revolution, the French government canceled the Sabbath and said every day is going to be a day of work. After a couple of years, they had to reinstate it because the health of the nation had crumbled because you need rest in your life. You need the Sabbath. I heard a guy who said to his pastor, Pastor, I try to get a hold of you all day on Monday. The pastor said, I'm sorry, that's my day off. The man said, the devil never takes a day off. The pastor said, yeah, and if I didn't, I'd be just like the devil. You need to take a day off. My day off around here is Friday. I don't set up meetings with people on Friday. I do my absolute best try to not be around here. I have been some lately and been talking to myself and God saying, quit that. Try not to do a lot of emailing. Try to make that my day off. Some of you, that's why sometimes you're so mean. You're following the devil's plan instead of Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is to take a rest. The devil's plan says you can stay busy. I look to God to meet all my needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I obey God's instructions about rest. He makes me lie down. Thirdly, I trust God one minute, one day at a time. I trust God one minute, and you could put in one minute, one hour, one day at a time. Now, to get the understanding of this part, I I want you to catch this video. Rex Hughes uh, came across this video a few years ago, and we used it in some of our prayer events, and we've rewatched it at different times, and every time I've seen it, I'm like, okay, that's an attention grabber. This is a Bible teacher teaching about the green pastures part of this passage. I want you to catch this.
1: the shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture, and so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance. So you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly grazing what's there. Now you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness and I remember waking up watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there, just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit, besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly-deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm gonna plunk you down, and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture in the desert you learn the shepherd will get you what you need for right now 10 minutes from now you trust the shepherd just enough
0: i love that visual I think it does a great job teaching that passage of Scripture and the point, trust God one minute, one day at a time. He doesn't set us down in some big old lush green pasture that we can just sit around and just kind of grab out. It's one minute, one day, sometimes one hour, sometimes every five minutes, sometimes every time, just trusting God for what's next. Did you hear what he said? Worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. We have no control what's going to happen tomorrow easier said than done though right it's a whole lot easier said than done so how do i trust god one minute one day at a time how how do i do that i'll tell you what i've learned i've learned this how you begin your day determines how you live your day how you begin your day determines how you live your day so start the day with god not with your media you want to do this, you want to live where you live in a, in a mindset that says, I'm trusting God one minute, one day at a time, then you start your day with God. Before you, before you get, get up and you read any text messages, before you check your email, before you turn on the radio, before you turn on some talk show with people screaming at each other, before you turn on Fox News or CNN News, the people hollering and screaming at each other, before you turn any of that on, get into God's Word, how you start your day. How you begin your day determines how you live your day. The first seven minutes of your day sets your mood for your whole day. Take the first part of your day, start it when your alarm clock goes off. Don't start with the worst news of the day coming at you. Start with some worship music. Start with some Bible time. Start with some quiet time. You just sit before God and say, God, it's a new day. I want to start with you. I would venture to say, because I'm guilty of it, start by turning on my cell phone, looking at text messages, check out my email, go to my Facebook. You need to turn on on, on some time with God. Begin your day that way. The first five, ten minutes will be with the Lord. And if you start now with five or ten minutes a day, that's why in your book, that's why in your book there are daily devotions right here that are written out for you. For instance, uh, page seventy four, day fifteen. They're short. It's five or ten minutes for you and God to engage with each other. And you say, well, I don't have the time. You do have the time. You say, I'm not checking Facebook. I'm not checking text messages. I'm not checking email. I'm not going to start doing work. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm dropping all that to start here. When you start doing that, then life starts getting transformed. God starts spending time with you in the morning, and then your stress level go down, and you start your day by saying, God, I turn to you. I'm going to trust you one day, one minute at a time. Some of you, during this 50 days of transformation, you need to fast from the news. Some of you say, I need to get it off. I hate to tell you this, but you could miss the news for the next 50 days, and it isn't going to make one difference in the world. A matter of fact, I probably could predict you the news this evening. It's going to be snowing, and someone was shot or killed today. That's the news, and oh, the basketball team's playing again this week. I mean, you know what the news is going to be pretty much. I mean, the media is tuned to make you think stuff is so important that really isn't, isn't all that important, really has, has no bearing on your life. If you use all that time you spend listening to the news, watching the news, reading about the news, checking out the news on the internet, if you took all that and converted that to reading God's Word and spending time with God, your life's going to be transformed. And may I suggest, in this political season, man, a lie, those debates are Depressing. Quit watching them. They really don't mean much. They really don't. The election's going to happen and someone's going to get voted in and you know down the road I'm going to pick someone and go vote. But really, it's all in God's hands. And I know some of you are freaking out because one of the supreme justices passed away. Oh no, we don't have the conservative person in there. anymore. You know what? God's still in control. He is still in control. And so you got to get the news out of your mind sometimes. You know if it bleeds, it leads on a local news. You know that's their theory. I asked someone in the news long ago, I said, why don't you guys get rid of all that stuff, killings and shootings and robbings, and why don't you start a news station that's all positive news? They said it will never work. It would fail. It would work if we stopped watching it, stopped turning it on. Look to God to meet all your needs. Obey God's instruction about rest. Turn to God one minute, one day at a time. Fourth, trust God in the dark valleys. Trust God in the dark valleys. We're all going to go through dark valleys. It's going to happen. You'll go through many of them in your lifetime. One of the common sources of stress is loss. You can lose your job. You can lose your income. You can lose your money. You can lose your health. You can lose your reputation. You can lose a loved one all go through many losses of life. When you go through loss, there are two common reactions. One is fear and the other is grief. Grief is good and fear is bad. I mean, grief is the way we get through the transitions of life. Grief is a good thing. The Bible says God grieves. In other words, grief is a godly emotion. In fact, if you don't grieve, then what you typically do is you get stuck. And some of you have had major loss in your life in the past and you've just shoved it down and shoved it down and shoved it down and you're kind of stuck. You're emotionally stuck and it's affecting your stress level and it's affecting your health. You've never gone further because you didn't grieve. I want to tell you, it's okay to grieve whatever's hurting you. It's okay to cry. It's okay to pray. It's okay to, to, to be hurting about it. It's okay. You need to go through the grieving process. You need to stop pushing down whatever's hurts, whatever you've lost, whatever whatever you're grieving. It's okay to walk through that grieving process. Grief is not going to kill you. It's not going to kill you. Grief will not kill you. And so you need to let it out because it's good for you. It's how you go through the transitions in life. Then you get unstuck and then you move on emotionally. And then you also drop some stress and you become more physically healthy. On the other hand, fear is a bad thing. See, not once in the Bible does it say grieve not, sorrow not, weep not, cry not. It does say fear not. Matter of fact, it says fear not 365 times. There's actually one for every single day of the year. Fear not, which means means that God says, I don't want fear to be part of your life. Grief doesn't paralyze, fear does. Psalm 23, 4, here's what David says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He said, I don't fear anything. Why does he fear anything? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says, God's with me. Remember, he's using a shepherd metaphor, shepherd and sheep. Shepherds always carried a rod, they always carried a staff, and there are two tools that you, they'd use to protect the sheep, to, to ward off the wolves and to ward off any kind of danger. He says, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to stress out because God is my protector, and God is helping me, and I'm going to trust God in the dark valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'm going to trust God. Some are you going through a valley of a shadow right now, possibly. Maybe it's the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of debt, or the valley of the shadow of conflict, or the valley of the shadow of depression, or the valley of the shadow of discouragement, or the valley of the shadow of you filling a blank. You're going through it. Quite honestly, shadows can be scary. Remember when you used to be afraid of the shadow when you were a child? He used to kind of freak you out laying in his bed as a little kid, and a shadow comes around the corner, or you see a shadow down the closet. Some of those things, some things I've learned about shadows this shadows can't hurt you. You know, they can't hurt you. We live in a shadow sometimes. A, A truck can run over you, but the shadow of a truck cannot run over you, so to speak. Shadows can't hurt you. Shadows are always bigger than the sores. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm 6'5", we have the light right, create a shadow, my shadow's going to be probably like 12 foot long, you know? going to have this big old shadow, and and it could be scary, but shadows don't hurt you. Here's the good news, is in the shadow, God is with you, and what do we do in the shadow? Instead of being scared of the shadow, if there's a shadow, there's always light. You go outside right now, you're not going to see a shadow because it's too cloudy, but whenever you see a shadow, that means there's a light source. What do you do in the shadows? You look to the light source. And our light source is God Himself, Jesus Christ. You look to Him and say, I'm in the shadow. That's kind of scary, but God, my eyes are fixed upon You. God, I'm going to walk through this trusting You. God, I'm going to walk through grabbing onto You. In this shadow, I'm not going to be scared because I'm going to hold onto You. That's how you go through the valley of the shadow of death. And you lower your stress. Trust God in the dark valleys. Maybe you're going through one right now. You need to pray like David did in Psalm 142. He says, when I am ready to give up, He knows what I should do. When I am ready to give up, He knows what I should do. I I want you to write this down. I don't have to know the answers when I know God. I don't have to know all the answers when I know God. Now, we, as we agreed with last week, some of us want to be controllers of the universe. We don't have to know all the answers. If you know God, you don't know. You don't have to know. I don't have to know all the answers because I know. As I go through that conflict or through that challenge or through that stress, God's got my back. God's right there with me. I'm going to trust God in the dark valleys. One last antidote. I could give you a whole lot more. There's so much more in this passage. One more. Number five. Expect God to finish what He starts in me. Are you a person who's afraid of the future? Are you a what ifer? You're always what ifing. What if this happens? What if this went wrong? What if this went bad? What if my kid did this? What if my kid did that? What if my wife did this? What if my husband did this? What if my boss does this? What if my company changes their policy? What if my insurance plan does this? What if my doctor does this? What if my preacher does this? What if my church does this? And you're just filling in your life with what ifs. Psalm twenty-three, six: surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's what we have to look forward to. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're whatever, it leads to an enormous amount of stress in your life. Unnecessary stress. And David says, look at love will follow you. Goodness will follow you. When a shepherd has a flock of sheep, he usually has a couple of sheep dogs. He's leading from the front, and the sheep dogs are in the back, keeping all the sheep in the flock and making sure they all stay together. These two sheep dogs that we have are known as mercy and love, or goodness and love, and they're in your life, and they're following us throughout life. While the chief shepherd, God, wants to lead in your life. Is that what you expect? I mean, you tend to look at your future in one of two ways. You can say, well, if everything goes wrong, if I don't have enough money, what if I lost my job, what if somebody walks out of me, what if? You can ask that, or you can look at your future and say, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are our options. You can either see from God's viewpoint, or you can see from fearful anxiety. How do you lower stress? You say, I want to expect God to finish what He starts. He, 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 and even if everything goes wrong in my life, even if life falls apart, because that is possible. Even if everything goes wrong in my life, I still have hell, heaven because I will dwell in a house of the Lord forever. What do you expect? There's a word for that. It's called a goal. That's why I'm challenging you to do goal. Again, back in your book. You take your book and you look back very Beginning of the book, in Roman numeral number six and number seven, there's a page there, two pages, set up for you to transfer goals. So as we walk through this journey each and every week, each and every session, you have a challenge to say, hey, what's the goal for this week? And then transfer it. So at the end of this, you have goals to work on over the next three, six months to a year. If you don't set goals, you're not living by faith. What's the goal God's working inside of you? Goals are statements of faith. Set a goal for your physical health. Should have set a goal by now for your spiritual health from last week. And say, God, I'm going to lay these to you. And God, help me reach the goal. Now, I don't know what burden you're carrying. I, I, I don't know what's weighing you down. I don't know the stress that you're walking through, but I do know the answer. One last verse for us to look at this morning. Jesus says this, Come to me. Notice what he says. He doesn't doesn't say come to church, not to a class, not to some clinic. Jesus says, come to me, all that you are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you more work to do. I think sometimes that's how we live. Come to me and I will give you what? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've got to tell you, I've read that passage many times. I had one of those kind of light bulb moments. This is the cool thing about Scripture. You can read a passage over and over and over, and God continues to speak to you. I had one of those this week. I was reading that passage uh, because I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up with a lot of cement and some small yards around me. We didn't mess with animals. I mean, I had a rabbit and two dogs in my childhood. That was it. I remember the first time I ever... Went to the fair. I was a youth minister actually in Finley, Ohio. I have some friends here from Finley. I went to the fair and I was like, oh my goodness, these animals are huge. It was a new experience. So to me as a kid, when you said yolk, what did I think of? I thought of the yolk of an egg. And today, if you say, Brian, yolk, I'm probably going to think about eggs. I'm going to think about that little yellow, you know, dot in the middle of the egg. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about farm animals. I'm not thinking about how farm animals work together. Yolk has a whole nother meaning. Yolk is a is a board that has two arches in it that you put over cattle so the cattle can pull and can work together. Look at that picture. You can see the wood and beam that goes across the back of their neck with, a, with the wood that, that arches underneath their neck that connects these two cattle together. The value of a yoke is that it halves the load. You stop and look at that picture. Without a yoke, um, <clears throat> you've got one cow who's trying to do the entire job all by himself. They're working that hard. But if you yoke up the cows with another cow, then they're splitting the load. They're splitting the work, so to speak. They're, they're both going kind of 50-50. Does, it, does that make sense? I mean, it's a whole lot easier to have two than to have one, right? Of course, I don't know if they still do that today. Maybe, maybe some farmers do, but they would do that, and they would hook up the plow behind the cattle and then go plow the field. A lot of hard work, but two of them making it easy. So when Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you," it sounded to me like you think about Jesus saying, "Hey, I've got, I've got some other stuff I want you to deal with." And take my yoke, I've got a, you got to think about that. You think I'm already burdened enough, Lord? I have enough stress. I don't need to take on the stuff. Go and leave that picture up there, Mike. I, I don't want to take on more stuff, but that, that's not what he's saying. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he's not saying, I'm going to give you my problems because Jesus doesn't have any problems. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, I want to share in your problems. He's saying, I'm here in the field. I'm already hooked up. He's saying, will you join me? Or are you going to stay off there doing it all by yourself? He's saying, I'm already ready to plow. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to, I'm ready to put my head, my head in the plow for you. Will you join up with me or you continue working the field by yourself, working this world by yourself? He's saying, yoke up with me. Take on my yoke. He says, basically, I own the apparatus. I own the yoke. And, and the field is mine. And, and this world is mine. And it's tough and it's hard. But are you going to do it all by yourself? Or hey, do you want to come over here and partner with me? There's an invitation. He says, You partner with me. He says three times in his verse, He says, Come. He says, "Learn," and he says, "Take, come to me." He says, "Then take my yoke." In other words, team up with me, and then learn how I'm going how, how I do it. It's going to lighten your load. It's going to reduce your stress. It's going to make it easier to navigate life. This is when you start getting physically healthy. He says, I don't carry all this by myself. I yoke up with God. You must get this. When I'm yoked with Christ, we move together. Because obviously we're yoked together. We move together in the same direction and at the same speed. Those two are the problems that many times we have. We're moving in our own direction at our own speed. And God is inviting us. He's saying, yoke up with me. I'll teach you how to move together and at the right speed for you. When you yoke up with Christ, you'll be moving in the right direction and a speed that is right for you as you work with Him. When you're yoked to Christ, you're not going to run too fast and burn yourself out. Because you're yoked to Christ, you need to come to him. You need to come to him. You want your life to be transformed, move from being stressed to being blessed. Then we must yoke up our lives with Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scripture that we've spent time in this morning, Psalm 23. Father, help us to seek you for rest. Help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to yoke up with you. Father David had it figured out. He understood, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He understood, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He understood the valley of the shadow of death. He started understanding all that, Lord, and I'm thankful you put these words to him be able to put it down on a piece of paper for us to be able to read and to be able to look at and to understand your plan, God, some 2,000 plus years later. Father, the key is that we yoke with you. We partner with you. We get in step with you. Father, as we continue on this journey, this 50 days of transformation, would you transform us physically by transforming our mind first? That we take these stresses and we handle them right by partnering with you so then our health will be transformed father we thank you for jesus this morning as we celebrate him celebrate his death his burial resurrection
1: and communion this morning in the name of jesus i pray amen